good. Well, uh, church, this Thursday uh, is Thanksgiving Day. And because the Sunday after Thanksgiving is often the first Sunday in Advent, as is the case this year, uh, we are going to talk uh, today, the Sunday prior to Thanksgiving, uh, about Thanksgiving, to help us prime the pump and and get our hearts and minds ready uh, for this upcoming holiday. Now, if you've been around Redeemer for any amount of time at all, you may have noticed that we do not celebrate uh, secular or non-religious or national holidays in the life of the church. For example, we don't uh, honor and acknowledge you know, the 4th of July or Memorial Day or Valentine's Day or Mother's Day or any of those types of holidays during our Sunday worship service. And the reason we don't celebrate those is because we believe that any time you come into the doors of the church, every single person, Regardless of your gender or your race or your nationality or your relationship status or anything else that might be a defining characteristic of who you are, regardless of that, you should be able to participate fully in the worship service, along with anyone and everyone else who is present. And all of those holidays uh, potentially prevent that from being a reality. So. For example, if you are not an American citizen, uh, the 4th of July probably doesn't mean very much to you. As a result, if you showed up on a church and they were celebrating the 4th of July and, 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 and the message was about the 4th of July, you might feel like you don't belong or that the message of the church wasn't applicable to you. And that's not good. <laughs> Likewise, holidays like Valentine's Day or Mother's Day are often awkward for many who don't find themselves in a season of life where that is something that they can celebrate. Those observances can often be more painful than celebratory. They can do more harm than good in the life of a worshiper. And so as the Apostle Paul instructs us in the book of Romans, we seek to put no stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother or sister. We don't want there to be anything in this church that gets in the way of any person who walks through those doors of being able to hear clearly the word of God and the message of his love for you in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only stumbling block we ever want to put in front of anyone. That's it. And so we don't celebrate national or secular holidays here at Redeemer. Now, I realize that in response to that line of argument, you may be quick to point out that Thanksgiving itself is a national holiday. (laughs) And so you would be right to ask, why then am I bringing up Thanksgiving today? In response to that, I would say that while it is true that Thanksgiving is a national holiday, it is a national holiday with deeply religious roots and and a thoroughly biblical foundation. In fact, when Abraham Lincoln established Thanksgiving as a national holiday on October the 3rd, 1863, in his Thanksgiving proclamation, President Lincoln wrote that the year that is drawing towards its close has been filled with the blessings of fruitful fields and healthful skies. To these bounties, which are so constantly enjoyed that we are prone to forget the source from which they come, Other bounties have been added, which are of so extraordinary a nature that they cannot fail to penetrate and even soften the heart 
which is habitually insensible to the ever-watchful providence of Almighty God. And after going on to describe both the challenges and the divisions that the nation was experiencing with the civil war raging, while at the same time acknowledging many good things that were continuing to happen, which doesn't sound all that different from the times that we are in today, Lincoln said that no human counsel hath devised, nor hath any mortal hand worked out these great things. They are the gracious gifts of the Most High God, who while dealing with us in anger for our sins, hath nevertheless remembered mercy. And so while acknowledging that God was at work despite and in the midst of the challenges that they were facing, Lincoln called the nation to an observance of a Thanksgiving holiday by saying, I do therefore invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who are at sea and who are sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father, Who dwelleth in the heavens. So while yes. There is a nationalist element involved. In that our thanksgiving is a call to Americans to give thanks. It has far broader application. That is not nationally bound at all. As evidenced in the fact that there are at least 17 other nations. That have their own versions of a thanksgiving holiday. And even more broadly than that, that this exhortation to give thanks to God for his good gifts is a universal call to all of God's people as given to us in the scriptures. Which we proclaimed in our call to worship this morning from Psalm 107. We are to give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Or more pertinently... From Psalm 103, which calls us to bless the Lord, to give thanks to him and to forget not all of his benefits. That's what Thanksgiving is all about. It's an invitation for everyone. Whether your skin is fair or dark, whether your language is familiar or foreign, whether your status is a citizen or an alien, whether you are a man or a woman, whether you are old or young, whether you have believed uh, all of your life or you are hearing about God for the very first time, it is an invitation for everyone. It is an invitation for you to give thanks and praise to God and to forget not all of the benefits that he has given to you. In your lives. As a result, the act of thanksgiving is a fundamental Christian activity. So that's what we're going to do today, all throughout the service. And to do that, I want us to look at what I believe is one of the most profoundly prophetic and acutely accurate passages in all of the scriptures from Deuteronomy chapter. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them up to Deuteronomy chapter 8. As we consider together who we are to give thanks to and what we are to give thanks for. Both on this upcoming Thanksgiving holiday and for all of the days of our lives that follow. So turn with me in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8. First, uh, I want us to consider who we give thanks to. And while the answer to that question may seem obvious, as we sit here in a church 
on Sunday morning. It doesn't take more than a moment's reflection uh, on our current society or a quick look into our scriptures to realize that the answer to this question isn't nearly as obvious as at first it might appear. Because on Thursday, tens of millions of people who will have no thought of God at all will nonetheless gather together around tables to celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday and to be thankful for the good things in their lives. And that simple fact alone is a reminder that Christians don't hold the market on, thanks, on thankfulness and gratitude. In fact, secular academics and self-help gurus have been researching and writing and publishing books about the psychological and societal benefits of thankfulness for years now. Even Oprah Winfrey, America's high priestess of secular positivity, keeps a thankfulness journal and encourages others to do so as well. She said that being thankful changes your personal vibrations. And that you radiate and generate more goodness for yourself when you are aware of all that you have. The social science on gratitude is pretty resolute. Whether you are a Christian or not, feeling thankful is good for you. We experience more satisfaction, more happiness, more optimism, more hope, more positive emotion, less anxiety and depression, at least temporarily. When we are thankful. This has led one atheist writer to proclaim that Thanksgiving should actually be a humanist holiday. Because in his words, we aren't thankful to imaginary deities. We are thankful to actual people. Not only are we thankful to the loved ones in our lives, but we are also thankful to the people throughout history who have contributed positively to our way of life. And he goes on to say that our society is built off of the hard work and innovation of human beings. And we should be thankful to those who have come before us and who have advanced human progress and human prosperity. God didn't create computers, he says, and Jesus didn't have to die to give us the Internet. People created and innovated the technology we use every day. People learned how to treat and cure so many of the diseases in the world. This wasn't knowledge imparted to us in some holy book or by divine revelation. It is knowledge we learned through scientific process, with hard work, long hours of study, and dedication. We should be thankful to those people for their efforts. More than that, we have a responsibility to continue that process going forward. Thanksgiving isn't merely a passive holiday, it's a motivational one. We have to be the ones that future generations will thank. This should motivate us to do great things, he says. And so with no thought of God at all, people can and will still find joy in giving thanks and receiving thanks during this upcoming Thanksgiving holiday and beyond. But there's a problem with this kind of Thanksgiving. Because while having a thankful heart in general may have some psychological and societal benefits for now, If the object of our thanksgiving is ultimately misdirected, it is eventually destined to come to a devastating and heartbreaking end. That is the warning from our Old Testament reading this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 8. And that is the mistake that this atheist writer is making in all of his acts of thanksgiving. 
Because do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that we did this. All that you see. We created the beauty and the goodness that you experience in the world. We have generated all of it through hard work and long hours and constant dedication. And so we deserve the thanks. And with these words, he is perfectly fulfilling the warnings that we heard from our Old Testament reading this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 8 to a T. Did you hear it when it was read? In Deuteronomy chapter 8, the people of God were standing on the edge of the promised land. Where after 40 long years of wandering uh, through the dry and barren wilderness, they were about to enter into the good, lush, fruitful land that God had promised to them. And some of the last words that were spoken to God's people before they entered into this land of abundance was this very warning. In verse 11 and following, Moses said, Take care, lest you forget the Lord your God. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God. And in verse 17, he continues saying, Beware, lest in your heart you say that my power... And the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You see, for thousands and thousands of years, really since the beginning of time, this has been a danger for mankind. That when we experience goodness and when we experience abundance, we forget the Lord our God. It's far easier to remember God's provision when you are dependent upon it day by day by day by day. When you have to go out and collect manna off the floor of the desert and drink water that miraculously pours forth from a rock in the desert in order to survive. In those moments, it's easier to remember that this is God's provision. But when the cupboards are full, when there's plenty all around, when you can just go to the store and get whatever you need or turn on a faucet and drink water, then it becomes very easy to lose sight of our dependence upon God. We begin to think that we've done the work, that we've earned the money, that we've created the inventions, that we've sustained ourselves, all while forgetting the reality of Moses' reminder in verse 18, that it is God who gives us the power to create wealth. It's God who gives us the bodies and the health and the strength to do the hard labor that we do. It's God who gives us the minds to make discoveries. It's God who's given us the very elements of creation by which we make anything. It's God who gives us each breath that we breathe. It all comes from the hand of the Lord. It's just as King David prayed in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, saying that all things come from you, O Lord. And of your own have we given to you. All that we have comes from the hand of God. And the problem with ultimately giving thanks to the people in our lives or to someone or something other than God from whom all things are given. The problem with giving thanks to these other things is that in doing so, we confuse that which we are to give thanks for with him whom we are to give thanks to. And when we do that, when we confuse who we are to give thanks to with what we are to give thanks for, 
we fall prey to the age-old idolatrous desire that Paul warns us of in Romans chapter 1 of giving thanks and praise to created things rather than to the Creator who is forever praised. You see, we're supposed to give thanks to God for His good gifts. But when we begin to give thanks to those good gifts that God has given us, instead of giving thanks to the God who gives them, right? when we give thanks to what we should give thanks for, we end up walking on a very slippery slope that easily and quickly leads towards the path of idolatry and destruction. And this is the warning from the end of Deuteronomy chapter 8. Where in verse 19 and following, Moses says that if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them. Basically, if you give thanks and praise to someone or to something other than the one true God. I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. If we forget God and in our prosperity fail to give him the thanks that he deserves And instead, we give our thanks and our praise to other people or to other things or even to ourselves. We're being idolatrous. We're robbing God of the praise that belongs to him. And we're giving it to others who don't deserve it, who aren't worthy of it, and who ultimately can't bear the weight of it. And this ultimately ends in death, God warns us. It's kind of like... Pouring gasoline into a plastic cup. Have you ever done that? (laughs) If you pour gasoline into a plastic cup, the gas will literally eat right through the plastic. It will ruin the cup and it will spill out all over the ground. A plastic cup wasn't created to hold gasoline. And the same is true with created things and praise. We weren't created to give our ultimate praise and thanksgiving to other created things or to receive praise and thanksgiving from other created things. We can't properly hold and contain that. This is the problem with the gratitude of the world is that it anchors its hope in things that perish in things that will ultimately fail and fade and disappear and disappoint. And so the joy that comes from that kind of thanksgiving, by its very nature, cannot last. Instead, in order for there to be true and lasting thanksgiving, it must be sourced in the one who himself is everlasting. A Christian blogger named Jamie Metzger wrote that gratitude based on or given to temporal things will eventually disappoint us. But true thanksgiving is an act of communion with the eternal God, which will have no end. If we want our praise and thanksgiving to last beyond a moment, beyond a season, beyond our current circumstances, beyond even this very life. We must source it in the one who endures forever. That is the only way to true and lasting and life-giving thanksgiving. We must give thanks to God whose love endures forever. That is who we are to give thanks to. Next, and very briefly, I want us to consider what we are to give thanks for. 
Because again, while at first this might seem obvious that we are to give thanks for the good gifts in our lives, which is true, there's actually a deeper and a far more profound answer in our passage this morning that we must understand if we want to experience a thanksgiving that endures. Because the reality is that it's easy to give thanks for good things. Whenever I perform a wedding, at some point in the premarital process, I say to the bride and the groom that the important vows that they are making is that they are promising to love one another for worse, for poor, and in sickness. Because <laughs> it's easy to be married when things are for better and for richer and in health. The challenge of marriage often comes when those good gifts aren't present. That's when the rubber hits the road in a marriage. And the same is true in our thanksgiving, in our relationship to the Father in heaven. When blessings are abundant, we have, when we have much to give thanks for, when loved ones are good, when health and homes and jobs are secure and good, it's easy to see the blessing and know how to give thanks. But what do we do when those blessings don't appear all that apparent? What do we do in the seasons of pain and suffering And tragedy and loss. What do we do when we look around at the brokenness of this world and the brokenness of our lives and we see far more loss to lament than plenty to praise? What do we do when our hearts are so broken by the circumstances of our lives that we find it far easier to grumble than to give thanks? This is where Deuteronomy 8 helps us. Because what we see in this passage is Moses reminding the people of God's goodness and his faithfulness and his provision and his love for them before they ever experienced the plenty of the promised land. Deuteronomy 8 is about how God had been good to his people in the midst of their want and in the midst of their wondering. Look at it with me again, beginning in verse 2 and following, where Moses calls the people to remember The whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. He fed you with manna, Moses said in verse 3. Your clothing did not wear out and your feet did not swell these 40 years, he says in verse 4. Later in verse 14, Moses reminds them, Do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions. And thirsty ground where there was no water. Who brought you water out of the flinty rock. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know. These were the most desolate times that God's people had ever faced. It was so hard that at times they begged to go back into slavery. It was years and years. A lifetime for some. Of struggle And fear, and hardship, and discouragement, and doubt. And yet, through it all, despite their complaining, despite their frustrations, despite their dislike, and sometimes even their disdain for God's provision for them, God was still with them. He delivered them from their captivity and slavery. He protected them from the dangers and the enemies in the wilderness. And through it all, he miraculously provided for them in ways that were beyond human comprehension. In the worst times of their lives, God was with them, loving them, 
He saw them through the wilderness. I love how Psalm 77 recounts this season of God's presence with His people when the psalmist says that your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. God's people didn't always recognize His presence with them. But He led them every step of the way through the dangers and the deserts of their lives. And He'll do the same for you. In fact, He is doing the same for you. Every day of your life. If you are here this morning, seated in a chair in the church, or if you are at home watching this from your house, Or if you end up listening to this sermon at some point online in the future, if you are alive at this moment and you are hearing this, then God has been incredibly faithful and present to you. He has sustained you and He has held you and He has brought you to this moment. Through whatever pain that you're suffering, through whatever loss that you've endured, through the longings and hopes that have been delayed or deferred, through the lack or the want that you may be experiencing, through whatever it is that is challenging you in your life right now, God is with you. Though His footsteps you may not see, He is with you. Leading you, guiding you, at times carrying you along in the journey of life. Church, God is with us. And of course, this is most profoundly true for us in the person of Jesus and the gift of the Holy Spirit. God sent His Son into this world to dwell among us, to live with us and to die for us. And Jesus sent His Holy Spirit into our hearts to abide within us and to remain inseparably with us, present with us forever. God has come among us and He remains with us in order to care for us and to help us. Which means that regardless of the circumstances of your lives, we have much to give thanks for. And when you put all of that together, who we are to give thanks to and what we are to give thanks for, do you see the benefit of of it all for our acts of thanksgiving? This kind of thanksgiving, rightly ordered thanksgiving, given to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, for His good and faithful provision in our lives, whether we're experiencing plenty or want, this is a thanksgiving that can never be taken away from us. This is a thanksgiving that never fades or fails. When our thanks and praise is given to the eternal God for His eternal love, as expressed in all of His good provision for us, it will be never-ending. It will endure to and through the grave and into life everlasting. This is the kind of thanksgiving that we were created for. I think we see a glimpse of that in our gospel reading this morning. When after Jesus healed the ten lepers, one of them returned to give thanks to God for His provision. As a result of His thankfulness, that one grateful leper is singled out as a model. And is not just physically healed, but is ultimately saved 
by his act of thanksgiving and the faith in God's work through Jesus that it represented. In that story, Jesus shows us that this is always the appropriate response to the work of God in our lives. To return and give thanks. Church, this is what we're doing today. You know, today's the final Sunday in the liturgical year. Next Sunday, we begin a new church year with the first week of Advent. And so today, we close the year that is past. And upcoming, uh, this Thanksgiving holiday aside, the close of a year is always a good time to give thanks to God for the ways in which He has been with us and the ways in which He has cared for us, sustained us, provided for us. Like the grateful leper, it's fitting for us here at the end of our year to look back and to give thanks to God through Christ for His care and provision among us. And throughout the rest of the service, this is what we are going to do. In our prayers, in our worship, in our communion, with joy and gratitude in our hearts, let us give thanks to the Lord. For He is good. His love endures forever. And this will always be to God's glory and for our good.